you pick up your Bible and wonder, is there more here than meets the eye? Is there anything here for me? I mean, it's just words printed on paper, right? Well, it may look like just print on a page, but it's more than ink. Join us for the next half hour as we explore God's Word together, as we learn how to explore it on our own, as we ask God to meet us there in its pages. Welcome to More Than Ink. Hey, have you ever been camping and you were dependent on your flashlight and you went to flip the switch and the battery was dead? Mm, I hate that. So I guess maybe what we should do is, I don't know, carry batteries Have an extra battery in your pocket? Yeah, because you don't have an option. Well, today we're going to look at a similar problem in an episode I call 10 Tiki Torches. Today, on on More More Than Than Ink. Ink. (laughs) Well, you've joined us here at uh, More Than Ink. I'm Jim. And I'm Dorothy. And we're so glad you're with us. I hope you're getting as much out of our look into Matthew, and especially this section on the the end of the age. Yeah. Yeah. So we, this is actually, uh, today we're doing part four of six-part series on the end of the age. We took the last well, not the last, but the two chapters of Matthew where Jesus really focuses on the end of the ages, his return, which is in chapters 24 and 25. And we're getting straight from the mouth of Jesus what will happen at the end of the age. Yeah, and it's really interesting to me and always has been what he says and what he doesn't say, right? And how we yeah, right. over the years right. have kind of filled in those unsaid gaps with all kinds of imaginative things. <laughs> or, or, yeah, or all those questions that really don't really you know, hit the nail on the head at right. all. They're so peripheral. We work really yeah, hard to zero yeah. in on the main point. Yeah. What did he actually say and what was the point of saying it? Yeah, exactly. So that that's why this is really sort of fun when you get into disputes about end of age stuff, which are actually they're not really disputes. They're 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 just alternate kind of um, guesses well, in very a way. Active conversations yeah. about what that and might there's, mean. There's nothing wrong about them. There's nothing wrong about that. It's actually really fun to talk about some okay, of these things. Okay, but the wrong creeps in when we hold our imagined position so definitively yeah, that we begin yeah. to devalue the thinking and the insight of others. Yeah, and you know that happens in on all kinds of topics, biblically, not just this one. But this one's kind of historically one of the most easily inflamed arguments. Yeah, people will divide over this. So so hold loosely what you understand, understanding that uh, that our brains are not perfect. <laughs> well, hold and it seek for the main point, right? Yeah. That, yeah. that kind of, you know, we're we're looking at the second of, of a series of parables that Jesus told mm-hmm. in this context today. And, you know, when we come to talk about parables, there's some basic guidelines, some general rules that should be observed. And we probably need to remember that it's just a simple, a parable is a simple comparison story, right? Something is said, this is like this. This is like this. So we need to just practice our observation when we come to parables. Tell us some of those rules then really quickly, because I know we we can get to get carried away with parables. Right. Okay. So, you know, again, the the simple comparison, what's the story about? Mm -hmm. Look, we look Mm -hmm. for what's the contrast? Is there a problem? What's the tension? Uh, because with a parable, the main point is the main point. So yeah. let's pay Stay attention to what, how did Jesus point. begin it and what is his last word about it? Mm-hmm. And in between those two things, what elements are repeated? Because that tells us what the story is about. Right. And so, at the end, he usually gives us a moral of the story. He often so, he does. Says, yeah. so he tells us what the main point is. Right. 
Uh, and then people and objects in the story, they do represent something, but we need to avoid the tendency to over-spiritualize those things. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Because he's just using them as an object lesson. Or, if, or in a way to over-connect them. Say, well, this figure is this, right, but that this, means maybe this figure is... Right. Yeah, you gotta It's usually pretty out. clear who's who and what the what are the relationships between the people yes. in the story. Yes. And then what's the context in which the story was told? Mm-hmm. Who was listening? What prompted it? Because, uh, you know, we, there's a whole... Most of the parables actually begin, the kingdom of heaven is like this, right? right? And right. so he's telling us something about the kingdom, the place where the king reigns, mm-hmm. what the king's reign is like or what it's like living under his reign yeah so so those are just some important kind of ground rules when we come to looking at the parables in general yeah that are very helpful and it kind of keeps us between the rails (laughs) yeah and you would think then well why put the complication of parables but they give us uh, a story that we can attach ourselves to in human existence i mean we get it yes we get it and so when he says so this thing that you don't get is like this which you do get make some connections right because the pictures jesus uses are common everyday things common everyday relationships things that people understood now today we're going to come to a parable and is talking about the end of the age right that we may not connect to in our experience (laughs) so let's just read it what do you say we read it and we'll come we'll come back after we read it and then ask ourselves so now what do we do if it's not a story that we easily connect with okay so we're in matthew chapter 25 at the beginning of the chapter and we're going into verse one so let's just read the whole thing and then we'll come back and scratch our heads together. Okay, and we're and we're going to circle back to the context of this particular parable a little yeah, bit. Yeah. <clears throat> well, let's just read it. You want me to read the whole thing? Yeah. Okay. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. But the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. But at midnight there was a cry, Here's the bridegroom! Come out to meet him! Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps, and the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, Since there will not be enough for us and for you, go gather, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came. And those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, Truly, I say to you, I do not know you. Watch, therefore, for you do not, for you know neither the day nor the hour. Let me say that again. Hmm. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. Okay, well, there's the entire parable in this discussion about the end of the age. And so our context is that is very much that. Remember, early on in uh, Matthew 24, near the end of 23, the apostle said, you know, give us a sign when you're going to come back. Right. Give it, tell us something about the end of the age. And so he launches into Matthew 24 and continues here in 25 and decides to use what is for them a well-known experience yeah, he sets up a sets yeah. up a circumstance they're familiar with right so and then this is going to apply to our end of the age stuff the problem is 
we don't we don't know what he's talking about in our experience in our experience we don't have 10 virgins with with lamps on their stands and what is this bridegroom march around in the dark and what is that all about so we should probably set the cultural context of this and then go back and apply it to what he's talking about in the end of the age so as my understanding and you correct me if i'm wrong but my understanding was that traditionally what they would do for marriage they wouldn't go to the temple they wouldn't go to a synagogue they wouldn't go to a religious building to have the wedding ceremony and you see this you see this in some movies where they show Jewish weddings they go to someone's house so from my understanding in the first century what they would do is the bridegroom and the bridegroom's um, what do you want to say family friends, procession friends right family. they they would wait until dark and they would go over to the to the bride's house and they would have the wedding ceremony at the bride's house the wedding ceremony itself and then to celebrate they'd all come out of that house and then go over to the bridegroom's house or the house that he right, either intends for them or his family and then they would have a big celebrating <laughs> feast at that point so and it, this is all done at dark the ceremony would always happen after it was dark so um it's it's sort of signified since dark is the is the beginning of the next day it would signify the beginning of a day so that's what would go on. These things would go on at night. So it's it's dark outside. So clearly, without street lights in Israel, you had to figure out how to get from one house to the other house. And this is for a lot of people. I mean, we're not just talking the bride and groom and mom and dad. We're talking about a lot of people. A wedding party are traipsing around in the middle of the night. And so the tradition was is to have some of the younger girls have these torches that they can light. The torches are fueled with olive oil, and they would light these torches. These are not tiny candles. These are on the end of sticks. These are like torches you see in Raiders of the Lost Ark, you know, where you got, <laughs> where you got wrapped up cloth that are soaked in something flammable. You know, it's that kind of a thing. And so they would they would be there. Uh, waiting for the procession to come from one house to the other house or to have the bridegroom just come at all to visit the bride's house. I mean, so there's a lot of traipsing around in the dark. And so these gals, these gals, in order to make the day work, had to make sure that they had lamps that had oil in them that afforded them the ability to light the path for everybody. Now, that's my understanding. Do you, do you no, have a that's, different... that's pretty consistent with what I, I have read or understood. But, you know, back to circling back to this taking place after dark, that whole imagery is really quite lovely, right? If mm-hmm, you're waiting mm-hmm. for someone at night, that first glimmer of their headlights in the distance is very exciting. And then yeah, you watch yeah. and watch and watch as the lights get closer and closer and closer until suddenly they're here and it's suddenly bright as daylight when the light arrives. So that's kind of the picture. And that just sets the whole stage for the picture of the bridegroom coming mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so well, great um, anticipation yeah lots of unknown about the exact time that was always kind of one of the fun aspects right. of it so you can already see some connections with the return of jesus if you think of jesus as being the bridegroom okay well and in the previous parable when jesus was talking about the servants who needed to be doing what the master had left them doing mm-hmm, when mm-hmm. he came back you know that this theme is recurring be ready be on the alert stay on target because you don't know exactly when he's coming Mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. you know, that previous parable back in the end of chapter 24 ended, blessed are the ones who are found doing what the master yes. left them doing yeah. when he comes. And that idea of being blessed is being fully satisfied in the master, right? Yeah, fully yeah. taken up with his purposes and his uh, your relationship with well, him. Yeah, and in this whole scene with this bridal scene, uh, this marriage scene, 
everybody is waiting for the bridegroom for this groom to come right i mean everyone's focused on that so you can't have a wedding without a groom yeah so this <laughs> anticipation is just wonderful now all the things i just told you culture that goes on the the question a lot of people would ask well what if i'm just reading my bible and i got to this right. chapter 25 matthew and i went what what in the world is this all about i cannot relate to this so what do bible students do when they it doesn't look familiar at all they don't get the well, connection. One of the things we can do, and we do this with any parable, is just look for look for the relationships that are described. Because everybody knows what a bridegroom is. Now, we may not understand all that's packed into being a virgin, but that mm-hmm. just indicates for a young, unmarried woman that's all it who's is. Yeah. waiting anxiously. Yeah. We know what a lamp or a torch is. Yes. We know that in those days you needed oil to keep the lamp burning. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. you know, if you look for the repeated and imported elements in the story, it will give you a clue. Mm-hmm. into what mm-hmm. actually is happening. So in that way, it's kind of timeless, yeah. right? Yeah. So we find the bridegroom repeatedly. We find the virgins, right? The Those who are waiting for the bridegroom repeatedly. The mm-hmm. lamps, lamps, mm-hmm. lamps, lamps, lamps. It's all about the lamps and mm-hmm. whether they have the fuel to keep them burning. Right. So right. those are things you can deduce just by looking at what is repeated yeah. in the story. Yeah. So you can put together what is really a pretty foreign cultural thing for you and put together the pieces saying, well, this must be how they do weddings there. And you can be like 90% where you need to be just by what by observing what you're observing. Okay, but the point is not how culturally how first century Jews did weddings. The point is the anticipation. Everybody well, understands what a wedding is. But 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 there was a special kind of anticipation here that if you don't know the story, the culture of how they do it, you miss it. You sort of miss it. That's what I'm saying. Okay, you, I, I appreciate that. Yeah, so... So some, sometimes this is, we often say, don't go looking at commentaries early, but sometimes some commentaries will help you historically with just what the, what the natural scene is. Well, okay. And it adds a richness to understanding here. Yeah. But then yeah. there is a major contrast set up in this story. And we need to kind of recognize that right off. He says, of these young women who are anxiously waiting, and they're all waiting for the bridegroom, mm-hmm, five mm-hmm. were foolish and five were wise. Right. And again, that's going to be repeated in the story. So yeah. we need to be watching for what, what qualifies them as foolish or wise. Right. Right. And, and I'll just push again that if you don't know what the tradition is for marriage for them you may not even understand why there's gals there with torches <laughs> so and what is wise is what's expected of them and that sometimes that's a cultural thing it's a traditional thing so now we see it now we see what's going on there's a there's a wedding going on it's all happening in the dark there are no street lights uh, these people need to get from house to house and celebrations coming great anticipation because you don't know when the bridegroom's coming and, uh, and and I always I like that anticipation part of this with especially with these ten virgins because if, if you think about young gals that watch either a sibling or someone else get married you know they go to the wedding ceremony they're just they're just glowing with anticipation they're full of hopes yeah full of hopes yeah they're watching closely which is why I think in their tradition they would have these young girls doing this because they're doing just a great service here it's like it's like a it's like a wedding party for the bride with these with these young gals and the anticipation is great especially since they're sitting somewhere they're waiting for the bridegroom to come they're waiting and then when he comes there's a ceremony and then there's a celebration and this is the best thing ever and we get the light the way for everyone so don't lose that sense of anticipation because that's really what's here so let's look at these 10 gals who are there to 
help make the wedding happen and their torches. They were, they're in their split, like you said, into two groups. Half and half. Yeah, yeah, foolish ones and wise ones. Well, so what makes the foolish ones foolish and the wise ones wise? Well, what's the same about them is they're all waiting and they all have lamps. They're all waiting, good, good. But what's different is that the foolish ones did not take any fuel for their lamps ah. and the wise ones did. So, right. you know, the question then comes up, the oil is a repeated element in this Mm-hmm. in this story. So there's something the about the fuel that mm-hmm. keeps the light burning. So, ooh, that opens an interesting question. Well, and and if you do not know when the bridegroom is coming back, you might want to have some, some oil extra, on hand. That's right. right. That's yeah. Right. So, but, you know, the, the, the story is driving toward the fact that the, the foolishness and the wisdom is going to be brought to the forefront when the bridegroom arrives and yes. the foolish ones are unprepared and they have to go and prepare because they are they cannot rely on somebody else's preparedness. It's very to clear them. who was wise and who was not. So the element of being foolish is these girls took no personal responsibility mm-hmm, for mm-hmm. the task at hand or recognizing the waiting. And they assumed something. Mm-hmm. They assumed right, right. that somebody else's oil would be enough for them. Yeah. And yeah. Jesus says, you know, they they had to go away and deal with that. And while they were gone, the party happened. They missed it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they missed it. There is in this anticipation. There should also be an equal measure of, of uh, what's the word? A preparedness, I guess it is. Yeah, a readiness, because right. that had been a theme in the previous right. parable. So even in the coming of Jesus, even though you can have great anticipation, there is some issues of preparedness, of prudence about being prepared, and that's what we're talking about here. Is is the fact that you may anticipate the coming of Jesus or the coming of the bridegroom, but that should mean something in your present right now about what you're doing. And they did not do that. Well, yeah, and he says, and those who were ready went into him with him to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. Yeah. In other yeah. words, there is a moment which those who are ready enter in. And this idea of entering into the celebration is mm-hmm, going to show up mm-hmm. in the next parable that we're yes. going to talk about next week. And it's yeah. a really important idea. Yeah. And those who came after saying, but Lord opened to us, and his answer to them is, I do not know you. Yeah. I don't recognize you. I don't perceive you. You weren't ready because you didn't believe what I told you. Right. You didn't properly assess the weight. Right. Um, perhaps you undervalued what you were waiting for. Yeah, yeah. Even though there was anticipation on their half, mm-hmm. almost giddy anticipation perhaps, it, it wasn't translated into a preparedness. Like, what do I do mm-hmm. between now and when he comes? Because since I don't know when he comes, I I need to be, I just need to prepare for it being long or short. I need to be on top of things. I need to be realistic about this. But it was not translated into that for them. They were presumptive. Maybe I can borrow someone else's oil. I don't know, you know. And so in that presumption, they they missed the thing they were anticipating, which was the celebration of the bridegroom when he comes back. Mm -hmm. And that's the sad part. Great anticipation and then a failure to participate because you really weren't you really weren't poised. You weren't prepared for the coming of the bridegroom when you didn't expect Well, you him. didn't understand what was going to keep the light burning. <laughs> well, yeah. Yeah, that, that's exactly right. And, and, you know, it's interesting because we always need to pay attention to Jesus' bottom line, which mm-hmm. he says in verse 13. It's really now, clear. Watch, therefore, for really you know neither the day nor the hour. Yeah. But packed into that is the readiness of having the fuel that will light the lamp when the time mm-hmm. comes. Mm-hmm. And so... Um, that leads us into a whole kind of a thinking about the 
oil, since that's such a big deal right. in, this, in this story. Now, I we warned at the beginning against over-spiritualizing the different elements. Or I call it over-connecting. Maybe, okay. maybe you're connecting to something that's okay. not supposed to be, but... Okay, but the elements in the story do represent something. And yeah, it's very yeah. clear from what Jesus, from our context here, that the bridegroom is Jesus. Is Jesus. The girls right. who are waiting, well, those are the ones who believe him, who are anticipating his coming, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. So, and there's this readiness there's some some light giving thing mm-hmm. that is important so i i got to think that the, the oil for the lamp is an important element in the story mm-hmm. so what might that oil represent is it just our readiness or is there something more and so this is a place where you might just sit with it and meditate a little lord what is the fuel that is required in order to endure this long wait. An essential element. An essential, well, essential oils are a thing. Essential oils, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Because in the scripture, okay, well, let me back up. Just as a basic study tool, if you take your concordance and you look up oil, Mm -hmm. you're gonna turn up countless references to the importance of oil culturally in the time i mean it represented a lot of things but it was very practical very important it was medicinal it was light it was fragrant it was flavorful it was used for mm-hmm. food mm-hmm. Uh, it covers i mean it touches all elements of life it was it was part of the whole culture and then you yeah. find also in the scriptures that the oil very often represents a lavishness a richness mm-hmm. and a joy yeah yeah. So, uh, and that's a place where you can just begin to read about oil, look, begin to look up the places where it occurs, both in the New Testament and the Old Testament, read the passages and connect the commonalities in, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. the oil will kind of lift out of the background in this story and become a, a much more important element. Yeah, yeah. It's in general, it's a it's a symbol of the richness of life with Christ. Now, and in it the now, is the means or the the yeah. the the material that was used to anoint. Yeah, yeah. Medicinally, or as a as a king, or a servant, or a priest was right. anointed and set apart for their purpose. Yeah, literally with the oil running down their heads. So, hmm. Yeah. With what are we anointed? Right, so that that leads us into maybe thinking about well, is the oil the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit, yeah, present within us. Yeah, you know, Jesus said, "You, I'm the light of the world, but you are the light of the world." Right, right. right. So, golly, it's a big, big idea. Well, and it's a connection with the the oil in the picture. It's a connection that comes to you as you read a lot of scripture. You start making these connections right. when you know the role of oil, and you see this right here. You know, light and richness and empowerment. I mean, so many things. And then when you do that, then certain passages start to ring differently. Like in Ephesians 5, Paul says, be filled with the Spirit. Right. Well, that sounds like filling the torches right, right. here, you know. Or or in another place, he says in Romans that, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. So maybe that's the connection we're talking about. But for listeners, you'll make these connections as you go on and read the rest of the scriptures. You'll say, well, what's that oil that was so essential mm-hmm. that because of a lack of it, that when the bridegroom comes, they're cast out. In fact, he says, I don't even know you. Right. 
And uh, and Paul himself says, if you know, if you're a Christian, you have the Spirit. If you don't have the Spirit, you're not really a believer. That's right. So you can start making some pretty close connections here, pretty good guesses, and uh, and make some connections that get you to know it. I I want to get to this last thing. We looked at it just a second ago on twelve. He says, "I do not know you." Mm. You know, that's not a phrase that's new to us as we've been reading no. Matthew, because it it shows up really prominently in chapter seven. Mm-hmm. You know, all these people that did all this stuff for Jesus, right? And then in the end, he says, but I never knew you. And a lot of people have said, well, doesn't Jesus know everything, know everybody? But th- this is a sense of knowing that's like like the intimacy in a marriage. It's really, you know, we we know each other. It's not he doesn't know about us. It's the fact that, you know, we, we don't have anything. We don't have anything going relationally. I don't right. know you. Right. And so um, what, a, what a stark rebuke that is at the end of such a great joyous anticipation that when he comes, these five were surprised where they stood. And we'll find out as we finish out these sections on the end of the ages, there are others who thought they were mm-hmm. okay and they will be surprised. Mm-hmm. And Indeed, that's going to be an element in the next two parables. There's a lot of surprise. <laughs> there's a lot of surprise when the bridegroom comes back. Even though many will be talking about it and anticipating it, many will be surprised. And here he's trying to get us to understand, just like these young girls who help support these weddings with their torches, you have to be aiming at the return of the bridegroom. And uh, very clearly, Jesus is that bridegroom. I wanted to just mention, you know, that's another imagery that's not new to us at all. In fact, at one time in Matthew 9, we were reading, the Pharisees came and blasted Jesus because his disciples weren't fasting. Mm, and Jesus mm, said mm. to him, hey, can the wedding guests can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? Right. So he, he, he drops this hint so many times in the Old Testament, many times, that God himself is our husband. So uh, this relationship is coming together at the end of the age is actually like a marriage happening. It's the consummation of a promise finally between God, our husband, and us, his bride. And here it is pictured in a really well-known uh, circumstance that they they would see all the time. Well, and that imagery is going to even take on, it's going to become more and more clear in a couple of well, another chapter on when Jesus tells the story of the wedding feast. The wedding feast, yeah. It, it's like, oh, well, Ding, there uh, it is again. All of the puzzles are solved at that yeah, point. Yeah, it's it's really pretty fascinating. So this is not a new metaphor. This is a very common metaphor about our relationship with God. And uh, and since we got like a minute left, let me just read for us Revelation 19. Oh, good. Because it says it so well. Revelation 19, 7. He says, let us rejoice and exult and give the, give him the glory for the marriage of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. And I jumped to verse nine of Revelation 19. And the angel said to me, write this, write this. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the lamb. And he said to me, these are true words of God. So, you know, even in the end of all things, as captured in Revelation, the end of the age is a gigantic wedding between mm, God mm-hmm. and his elect. And blessed are those who are invited. That blessed is being filled with satisfaction yes, yeah. of the master, of the one we're marrying, of the, the Lord himself. Yeah. So those of us that look forward to the end of the age, because it's not just about judgment, it's about the consummation of God's mm, promise to us mm-hmm. in relationship with him. We are giddy with anticipation. So I hope you are too. We're going to look at more about what it is we need to do between now and then in anticipating his return. And we'll keep looking at that in Matthew 25 here on More Than Ink. There are many more episodes of this broadcast to be found at our website, morethaninc.org. And while you are there, take a moment to drop us a note. 
remember, the Bible is God's love letter to you. Pick it up and read it for yourself, and you will discover that the words printed there are indeed more than ink. I like that. I think we're there. I think we can just leave that alone. This has been a production of Main Street Church of Brigham City.